In the name of Jesus. Let's talk today, shall we, about getting our faith tested. Ever had your faith tested by God? And perhaps maybe you have and didn't even realize it. You see, sometimes when testing of faith happens, it's quite unpleasant. It's shh, not something we want to talk about because it's, it's quite unnerving. It's sometimes unthinkable. Sometimes your faith is stretched to its very breaking point, and sometimes it seems that this testing appears to be contrary to God's nature and His Word. Want to know more about that? Just ask Abraham in our text for today. Abraham, we know, trusted God. Childless Abraham trusted God's promise that he would be the father of of many nations. Like sand on the seashore and stars in the night sky. And then God gave Abraham and Sarah a son. One only son, Isaac. And they loved him deeply. As any parent who perhaps was unable to have children, and then had one, would do. And through this boy, the promised Savior of the world would come. Through this one child, to childless Abraham and Sarah, would be fulfilled God's promise. And now, God tests Abraham's faith. Let me say it for you very simply, and you can repeat it after me. God tests faith. He refines faith in the furnace of suffering and hardship, like gold in a refiner's fire, like steel tempered in a blast furnace. God closes up His hand of blessing tightly and leaves Abraham in the wilderness alone with his naked word. God dares Abraham to believe that his word is certain and sure by testing him. Asking Abraham to do the unthinkable. Take your son, Abraham, your only son, Isaac, the one whom you love, And go to the region of Moriah, and there, Abraham, sacrifice this only son that I gave to you, by the way. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about later. (laughs) And just in case you weren't listening or fell asleep here at the beginning of this, I'm going to say it again. God tests faith. He tests the faith that He creates in you. He shapes and forms it like a master potter at the wheel. You see, turning a lump of clay into a beautiful vase or a bowl, well, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work. You see, God, maybe for some of you, if you're not into the whole pottery thing, perhaps you were watching the boob tube last night. One of the teams I was rooting for got beat in a horrible way, but it happens. You see, God hardens and strengthens faith for some of you the way a coach might prepare his team for the championship game. 
And perhaps if you want a little more masculinity, like a commander who prepares his troops for battle, God tests and tempers faith through suffering, through hard work, through especially the cross. Remember Jesus who began his ministry in the wilderness, which is where we find Abraham in today's reading. Jesus who remains steadfast under trial. Jesus who stands the test and promises that with, when you withstand the test, you too will receive the crown of life. I don't know if any of our confirmation kids have that verse next week, but it's a good one. You see, Abraham is asked by God to make a sacrifice of his only son, and a God who tests the very faith he creates, as he did with Abraham, and as he might be doing with you right now, well, that type of God, you might say to yourself, is a troubling God. He's an unpredictable God. He's a God who can't be tamed. A God who can't be put under your own control or under your agenda. You can't make Him do things your way because your way and mine, after all, is the way of easy life, is it not? (laughs) You and I, (laughs) and I remember when my grandma in Minnesota got one for the first time, we want a microwave life. This thing was gigantic. It was huge. It took up half the counter in her tiny little farmhouse kitchen, but she was so excited to have a microwave. It was like 1981 or 82, back when the microwaves were like the size of a small compact car. And Grandma was so excited because this would drastically cut down on all the cooking time and the preparation. That's what we want, isn't it? Oh, we've moved on though, haven't we? We no longer want a microwave life. We want a convection oven life. We want a fast food life. Give it to me now. We don't want to deal with pain. Suffering can't be from God. Sacrifice, what's that? We don't want any ambiguity. We certainly don't want any testing. Incredibly. Even when God appears to be Abraham's worst enemy, and perhaps when he appears to be yours, this, (laughs) ready-for-the-nursing-home old man, gets up early in the morning, this Abraham. He saddles up his favorite donkeys, he takes two of his servants, he chops the wood, and he gets his sleepy-head son Isaac out of bed and sets out for the mountain. A three-day journey, mind you. Hang on to that. Probably the longest three days in Abraham's life. Can you imagine the agony, the things that are going through his head and his heart? It must have been unbearable as he turned over in his mind again and again what God had asked him, told him to do. Was God really asking me to do such a thing? How could God keep his promise to me that that I would be the father of many nations and that that through my son, the Savior of the world would come, and now he asked me to sacrifice him. God tests faith. And when they finally come to the mountain, did you notice what Abraham said to his servants? He says this, 
we will worship and then we will come back to you. What? Did Abraham really mean that? To use the plural there? Or was he just saying that? Because when he and Isaac get to the top of the mountain, the boy asks the obvious question, Hey, Pops, the fire and the wood are here, but uh, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And then comes, pay attention if I've lost you, one of the greatest statements of faith ever recorded in the Bible. Abraham says this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. I'm going to just stop here for a second and and ask you an introspective, open-ended question. What is it right now in your life that you don't think God can accomplish for you or that he has asked you to do and you're, what? Because faith, faith, you saints, says this, God will provide. The sinner in you, the old Adam, whose father is the devil, that Jesus talks about in our gospel text says, say what? No way. You see, God is going to do something that Abraham doesn't know about, doesn't understand, can't comprehend, can't even envision. But Abraham believes God is going to provide, period. Abraham risks everything. He trusts that God is going to be true to his promise. He's going to believe that God isn't going to break his promise. He catches God in his word and he holds on to him so tight. He believes that God doesn't lie. Which is exactly what Jesus gets accused of in our text for today. Abraham believes that God's word is sure and that God himself would provide the sacrifice. Abraham was certain on it and he's going to stake the life of his son on that faith. And Abraham was right. He was faithful. He trusted God's word even when God appeared to go against his own word. Even when all he could see was the wood, the altar, the fire, and Isaac. Abraham was certain that God would provide the lamb of sacrifice, even to the point of tying up his son, can you imagine? Placing him on the altar and raising the knife above his head. What a terrifying moment that must have been. A moment when faith, doubt, and perhaps unbelief are locked in an epic struggle. When heaven and hell look indistinguishable from each other. And as the knife is raised, the angel of the Lord's voice calls out, Abraham, Abraham. Abraham's faith was tested, and Isaac, we know, was spared. For there in a thicket was a ram caught by its horns. The Lord provided the substitute, you see, the sacrifice for Isaac, Abraham's only beloved son. Now let's get to the point, because it's probably taken me a little too long, and I've been a little long-winded as usual, and I beg your forgiveness, but I know you're getting a little antsy, so let's get to it. 
The story of Abraham and Isaac gives you a picture of your own salvation and what God has done so that you are His. You see, in Abraham, we see the love that God the Father has for you. Abraham experienced in his own soul the sorrow and agony of a father who was asked to give up his only beloved son, and if there was ever a man who felt some small measure of what went on in the heart of God the Father when he sent his son into the world to be crucified, I would submit to you it was probably Abraham. And that's exactly what God the Father did. He went through with what Abraham did not. God, your Father in heaven, gave up his only beloved Son for you. Romans 8 tells us, He who did not spare his own Son gave him up for us all. The Father placed his Son, Jesus, picture this, on the wood of the cross. He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin, to be the sin offering, the whole burnt offering consumed by the fire of God's wrath against your sin and mine and against God's burning desire to save you and me from the hell that our sins deserve. Are you picking all this up? You see, as the ram was the substitute for Isaac, Jesus is the substitute for... Really? Poke yourself in the chest. Jesus is the substitute for me. The knife now doesn't go into you. The knife goes into Jesus. Jesus takes the law's punishment in your place. Jesus is the lamb caught on the wood of the cross, pinned there by your own sin. God the Father provided the lamb for the sacrifice, His own beloved Son, which means that you are not the sacrifice. So stop thinking so highly of yourself and questioning what God allows to come your way. And follow my finger as I play John the Baptist this morning. And it's our theme for this Lent. Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. It was there on the mountain of Calvary the Lamb of God was slain for sinners, for you, for me. And on the Lord's mountain, which is now the church, His presence, the benefits of Jesus' Good Friday death are now provided to you and me. In baptism, in absolution, and in the Lamb's body and blood, in the Holy Supper, the Lord still provides. And it's more than you've ever expected. It's more than you've ever realized. And it truly is more than you would ever dare to ask. Finally, one last time, you will be tested. God will test you. New members, you know who you are. Listen closely. If he's letting you take a breather at the moment, well, rejoice and give thanks. However, remember that it's only a breather. The time of testing in your life will come. Count on it. It's a no-brainer. What the testing will be? Don't ask me. I'm not God. It may come as a financial hardship. It may be a gargantuan emotional distress. But I think that in the near future, it's safe to say that it will be a form of persecution in one way or the other. 
And the one I'd submit to you that all of us as Christians are dealing with right now is simply confessing Jesus as Lord. Did you catch this past year? It, it made a little bit of the Christian news, but not so much of the big news. One of the pretend almighty divinities on the TV show The View called our own vice president's Christianity, quote, a mental illness. And remember, in today's culture, these are the self-proclaimed most loving and tolerant people. So you will be tested. You will be persecuted. But go to the Lord. Let Him talk to you. Because every time you read or study the Bible, He is speaking to you. And when you come up here to the sacrament to kneel on our nice pew cushions, thank you, Colson's and Altar Guild, the Lord is speaking to you. In very simple earthly ways, he's still coming to you today to strengthen you. Eat, drink, it's my body, it's my blood. And it's one thing for you to talk to Jesus, but it's another thing for Jesus to talk to you. And he still speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks in his church. Given and shed for you, he says, for the forgiveness of sins. All the pretend divinities on TV, social media, Capitol Hill contend that Christianity should be criminalized and, and outlawed, but we stand with Abraham, do we not? In believing and trusting that word, and also in acknowledging that testing may come, a serious illness, a difficult marriage, a loss of income, a reputation or opportunity, could be the betrayal of a spouse, a friend, or the death of a loved one, and, and no, it's not going to be pleasant. Testing never is. It isn't supposed to be. And at times it may see, even in our culture today, that God is very distant. Perhaps that God is against us. And we will feel isolated and alone. And perhaps even our best friends and our family members will avoid us. Think of the conversations that you no longer have when you have your family over. But your Lord says this to you. Remain steadfast under trial, for when you have stood the test, you will receive the crown of everlasting life. So let us, shall we? Let us new members and also catechumens that are preparing to be confirmed next Sunday, let us trust in Jesus, let us trust in his promise of salvation in all times of testing. Abraham did, and God provided. And he most certainly has given his only beloved son for you. He's given you his divine and saving name in your baptism and in absolution and even preaching. He speaks this divine forgiveness to you. Trust him. Because he who trusts, he who believes and is baptized, he promises will be saved. Or as we'll hear in just a little bit from our new members who will renew their confirmation vows and be making new ones. Jesus says, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father is in heaven. God bless you in the midst of your testing. May your faith be found as that of Abraham, a sure and certain faith in God's certain word. In the name of Jesus.